we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth. It was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. You can see heroes every day going in and out of factory gates. You meet heroes across a counter, and they're on both sides of that counter. There are entrepreneurs with faith in themselves and faith in an idea who create new jobs, new wealth, and opportunity. They're individuals and families whose voluntary gifts support church, charity, culture, art, and education. Their patriotism is quiet but deep. Their values sustain our national life. We must realize that no arsenal or no weapon in the arsenals of the world is so formidable as the will and moral courage of free men and women. We are a nation under God, and I believe God intended for us to be free. The crisis we are facing today does not require of us the kind of sacrifice so many thousands of others were called upon to make. It does require, however, our best effort and our willingness to believe in ourselves and to believe in our capacity to perform great deeds, to believe that together, with God's help, we can and will resolve the problems which now confront us. And after all, why shouldn't we believe that? We are Americans. Amen. It's true, it's true. Today, or this Tuesday, our nation will celebrate its 247th birthday. Nations that have existed from time and those that have recorded history have proven that over their nation's history, there is typically, on average, a change to their founding documents and their governing documents every 17 years. To think that we as a nation still operate under the same founding documents today, 247 years later, is miraculous and unique. That is not true of any other nation that has existed on our planet. I believe it is because those founding men and women believed that God was central to the cause of this nation. They believed in the one true God. They believed that he has revealed himself in scripture. They believed that he has sent his son to be the sacrifice for sin. They believed that by faith there is salvation in that son. And they believed that the only way for a nation to be sustained over the years and generations ahead was for that nation to be founded on the word of God. And that is what our nation was founded on. I recognize that there are forces at play today 
who would seek to discredit and disavow that as fact, who would seek to call those men and women, men and women of ill character, men and women who had no faith, but history and their own writings tell us differently. The 56 men in this picture were all people of faith. Pick any one of them, research their life story, find out what was going on, and you will be amazed at what God was doing, what God was planting, what God was doing through those same men. Many of them faced the signing of the Declaration of Independence with great risk. They knew they were sacrificing everything to go against a superpower, to go against tyranny. Of these 56 men, after signing this document, five were captured by the British and tortured as traitors. Nine fought in the Revolutionary War and died from their injuries. Twelve of them had their houses burned. Seventeen lost their estates. Two lost sons in the Revolutionary War. And two had their sons captured in the war. They paid deeply for us to be able to have freedom today. They paid deeply to stand against tyranny. And it is worth our time today to stop and consider their work, their writings. It is worth it today and necessary for us today to stop and consider where we stand as a nation today. And it is worth it today to stop and consider what we owe as an explanation to these men and those women who sacrifice greatly. Our message today is called a message to our founding fathers. There is a concerted effort today to rewrite history. It's happening in our government schools across the land. Those men and women of that day were not perfect. But neither were Abraham, Sarah, Moses, David, Peter, or John. But they were people of faith, and we have recorded history that tells us what their intentions were. We have recorded history that calls us today to remember where our nation founded and what we began with. Someone has said, those who don't know history are destined to repeat it. And it's no surprise that today we find ourselves once again fighting against tyranny on our own soil. So today we remember, we remember that there is a history, a legacy left to us founded on God's word founded on Jesus Christ. And the intention was that a society and a culture would be so interwoven with the truth that every element of the governmental foundation would be rooted in the Bible. Begin with men like John Adams to remember his contribution. John Adams was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. He was a judge and a diplomat. He was one of the two signers of the Bill of Rights second president of the United States. He wrote to his wife after the signing of the Declaration of Independence 
to tell her what he thought would be the future of that moment, of what future generations would say about that moment, about what that moment would bring to our nation's future. He wrote to his wife and said, I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. He believed that there would be future generations who would have worship events because of the freedoms that they had gained. It ought to be solemnized, he said, with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. John Adams also wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson on June 28th in 1813. And this reemphasizes the fact that our nation was founded on the truth of the Bible. Here's what John Adams said to Thomas Jefferson. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as essential and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. He said these principles on which our nation was founded were rooted in who Jesus is and what the Bible has to say. It was clear among these founding fathers that this was true. We can look at the man Noah Webster who was a revolutionary soldier. He was a judge. He was a legislator. He was an educator and considered the schoolmaster to America in his day. He wrote a book called Advice to the Young that was written in 1832. And in that book, he wrote, the religion which has introduced civil liberty is the religion of Christ and his apostles. This is genuine Christianity, and to this we owe our free constitutions of government. It's clear. It was rooted in the Bible and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He said, the moral principles and precepts found in the scriptures ought to form the basis for all our civil constitutions and laws. He also wrote, all the evils which men suffer from vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. It is clear that our foundation was once rooted in the truth of the scriptures. These are just two of many, many, many of our founding fathers and others who wrote. And if you haven't done the research to understand who they were and what they said, you might find yourself falling prey to some of the deceptions and lies being taught today. I'd encourage you to go to wallbuilders.com. Write it down. Spend some time on that website David Barton and his work there, he's phenomenal at the research of our American history and its foundation rooted in the Bible. You'll find lots of history, lots of quotes, lots of information about how to understand our nation was founded upon God's word. Knowing all of this today, just that much today, shines a light on our history, shines a light on our present 
And it brings us to a point of where you and I must remember, but you and I, we must also confess. We must confess that that, that intent, that design is not being played out in our culture today. Something has gone wrong. Something has broken. And it hasn't been the founding documents, but it is the people of our nation. And for that, it's essential that you and I confess how far we've fallen from the original intent. It's important for us to know that we have not done well in keeping what our founding fathers established. So we confess today, in a sense, to the founding fathers, but more importantly, to our founding father, God. We owe him an explanation for what has happened, for what we have allowed even as the church. I want to walk through some areas that I think it's important for us to confess, acknowledge today. Number one, we confess that our nation has lost its dependence on God and replaced it with dependence on government. Government in our day has become God. The nation looks to government for the answers. Our nation looks to government to provide income, jobs, health care, education, morals, benevolent care, health decisions. These were not things that government was ever intended to be the provider of. Instead, free men and women should be the provider of these things in a nation with a limited government and a people who are alive and vibrant. The government has become a place of control instead of a place of freedom. The government has seek, seeks now to control the individual, control worship, control the work environment, control our property, control how we raise our families, control how we educate our children. And this was the great fear of our founding fathers, that government would eclipse freedom, that God would be replaced with the worship of man. Which brings us to number two. We confess today that our nation has exchanged worship of God for the idolizing of ourselves. Our, nature ha or our nation has exchanged what should be truth and the worship of God for a lie has removed God and now worships man and idolizes man. The creature is now worshiped rather than the creator. The urges and appetites of the creature reign supreme above all truth, morals, and good, logic, and reason. Today, anything that is offensive or hurts the feelings of someone is labeled as hate speech. Michigan has recently proposed laws, one that would make it a federal crime if someone feels threatened by your words or actions. Just feels threatened. Michigan also has law they are passing to make it a felony 
to use a person's wrong pronouns. The creature is being worshipped above the creator. As Romans 1.25 says, they have exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. This is what is happening in our day. Number three, we confess that sin is being redefined into socially acceptable terms. And they're being used by the media, marketing agents, psychologists, and some churches. The world calls it Pride Month, but God calls it arrogant perversion. The world calls it gender dysphoria. God calls it spiritual blindness. The world calls it sexual preference. God calls it sodomy, adultery, and sin. The world says diversity, inclusion, and equity. God calls it all unjust and unholy. The world calls it political correctness. God calls it being ashamed of the gospel. The world calls it reproductive health and a woman's right, and God calls abortion murder. The world calls it emotional disorder, and God calls them spiritual strongholds. It's time we use the terms that are accurate for what is happening in our day and not change them to fit what is comfortable and will keep someone from feeling threatened, hurt, or assaulted. Truth will have an assaulting effect on our heart. It has to. I'll never repent of a sin unless the Spirit of God assaults my heart and corrects me with it. Amen? The only way a person can ever be saved is if they hear the assaulting truth that they are a sinner destined for hell. And then they repent of their heart and their actions. This is how the gospel works. Yes, it involves love, but it involves this moment of confrontation in which the sinner acknowledges, I am a sinner. That is assaulting, confrontive, threatening. It requires death of our soul that we might have a living soul within us. Number four, we confess that the culture today now defines its identity by its sexual perversions. I did not say sexual preferences, but sexual perversions. We now live in a culture in which each person is encouraged to identify by their deviance. Pick your letter, L, G, B, T, Q, I, A, 2, S, there's more. Pick your, pick your deviance. Not only pick it, but now this is your identity. This is who you are. No longer is a person defined by their hard work, by their faith, by their God-given gender. They now get to determine by their deviance who they are. And they're being encouraged and taught to do that to find your identity in that. There's a strategy to indoctrinate and normalize this across our culture. 
It's happening in the government schools. It's happening in the culture. It's happening in media. It's happening across our land. It's happening when you listen to the radio. It's happening when you get online. It happens when you watch a movie. It happens when you walk into a store. There is a concerted movement at play to cause everyone to identify with their deviance. And that strategy is being targeted toward young people and children in our day. This behavior is being normalized in movies, introduced at the preschool level in children's programming. In recent Pride and transgender marches across the United States, the cry was, we are coming after your children. To this, the church must say, if you come after our children, it will be the last thing that you do. Amen? Amen? Yes. Some might say, well, that just doesn't sound very much like Jesus. Well, let me tell you what Jesus sounds like. Whoever shall offend one of these little ones that believes in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck and he was cast into the sea. That's what Jesus sounds like. So you and I, especially as the church, as parents, as leaders, it's imperative that we take the stand, that we not turn a blind eye, that we take the stand and protect the children in our day. We cannot just say, well, that's your truth, we have our truth. No, there is one truth alone, and we will not have our children taken slavery by your addictions and perversions. Yes. Amen? <laughs> Number five, we confess that the world is systematically seeking to silence the church. They say inclusion, but they mean exclusion of the church. They say truth is relative, but they mean if you don't agree with us, you don't have truth. They say self-expression, but if the church expresses its opinion, they call it hate speech. They say God is love, but only when it fits their agenda to be accepted, normalized, and celebrated. Now, I do praise God for two important victories that happened this week in the Supreme Court. Yes. The Supreme Court sided with a postal worker who asked for Sundays off because it was his day of worship. And the courts sided with that man. The Supreme Court sided with a graphic designer who refused to do work for a same-sex couple. And the Supreme Court sided with that Christian graphic designer. Praise God that some freedoms are still being protected in our land today. What is tragic is that that has to even get to the Supreme Court level. How did it not be taken care of at the local level? How did it move on beyond that? How did it get approved all the way that it had to go to the highest court in the land? There's a problem in our land this is not the way the original founding men and women intended for it to happen. Isaiah writes about times like this. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 through 24. Isaiah pronounces a series of woes or troubles and judgment. He says, woes to, or woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, 
who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. Yep, that's in the Bible. Woe to them. Those who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Those who seek to profit off of their immorality will come to an end by God's promise. So it's important today that we remember that we confess but also that we repent. Repent is not just a word that means to be sad. Repent is a conscientious decision to turn the other way and go in another direction. So today as the church, it's important that we remember, confess, and repent. Because I'm afraid that the church over these 247 years has not kept its responsibility. We have not been the light of the world. We have hidden our light under a basket. We've lost our savor as salt of the earth. We've left our first love. We've not been faithful ambassadors for Christ. We have not been messengers of reconciliation. We have chosen comfort over conviction. We've chosen pleasure over faith. We've become powerless, weak faith, religious, fearful, and addicted to sin. And in recent decades, the church, instead of keeping its mandate to preach the word of God, teach the ways of God, proclaim the gospel boldly, and truly be the pillar and the ground of truth. The church has settled for lesser things. The church has settled for just taking care of social efforts in a community, of just feeding those who need food, of just helping in community projects, of just being nice so as not to offend. Those things are good. Feeding the poor is good. Clothing those who are naked is good. But I will say this. Anybody in our nation can feed the poor and clothe the naked and be nice. Anyone can do that. You don't have to be a Christian to do that. But the church has a singular mandate that is bigger than all of those. The church has a singular mandate to proclaim boldly the word of God and proclaim the gospel, to see captives set free, to make disciples, to train up generations, and to stand as the pillar and the ground of truth. This is what we are called to, but I'm afraid that's not what the church has been doing. Instead, it's been more comfortable just doing Sunday religion, trying to be nice and trying to help where we can. 
You can be any club in the community and do that. We are called to that and so much more. I'm afraid in our day we have fallen prey to the giants who threaten and have assaulted and who want us to be weak and small and silent. I'm afraid this is where we stand today as the church in general. And it's time for us to repent. First Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. It's important. It starts with us. That's why you hear us proclaim this message often here at Vertical. It begins here. We are not to be just a part of the culture. We are to be the head and not the tail. We're to be the light and not the secluded place that the light is hidden under a basket. We are to be the one who gives the savoring, preserving power to the culture. And this is what we are called to as the church. And for that, we must repent, but we also now must stand. It's time for the church to be aware of our calling, our history, to be aware of the fact that there is forgiveness in Christ for what we have not done, for where we have failed. It's time to be aware that we are now engaged in a battle and we are called to be soldiers on the front line. It's time to be aware that our children and our grandchildren are depending on us. We are one generation away from losing everything that we have as a nation, as the church. And it is upon us right now to secure these blessings of liberty for our children and their children and their children. We must also be aware that the Spirit of God beats within us today. The same Spirit of God that beat in the hearts of those founding fathers and families that had a cry to stand up and preserve liberty to see a future, that same spirit that was in Jesus Christ who came and said, I've come to set the captive free, who saw the tyranny, religious tyranny in his day, and he boldly proclaimed the word unashamedly, risking and giving his own life. We must now have that same spirit beating within us. It's beating. It is up to us now to listen. And the word of God speaks to us at a moment like this from Ephesians chapter 6. Here is God's word to us. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not, or we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, as a result of all of this, because of all of this, because of what you've been equipped with, because of what we've been called to, because our future children and grandchildren depend upon us, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, in this day, that you and I might be able to withstand and having done all to stand.
be going out of the culture every day and come home beat and whipped. You and I ought to have the Spirit of God pulsing within us, confidence marching powerfully through us that says, I have a purpose. I was born for this time. I've been placed here at this time to be used by God at this time. And I will stand for truth. I will put on the armor of God. I will not be ashamed. And I will stand. I will not be ashamed. I will not pull back, wither away. I will not hide my faith. I will not hide God's word. I will boldly live it out. This is what you and I are called to. To stand. This is what our founding fathers did. In the day and the time when tyranny was against them. In a day and a time when they could have easily just pulled back and said, I don't know, man, they're so much bigger than us. They're so much more equipped than we are. They have so much more resources than we do. They come from a bigger place than we do. We just seem like grasshoppers in their side. But they did not do that. They gathered together as God's people. They looked at God's word. They remembered what he had written. They knew what they had been called to. They saw that truth. It leapt off the page. It sprang out of their heart. And they said, we will build our lives on this Bible. We will build our lives on this Jesus Christ. We will form a government. We will form a life. We will form our communities around this truth so that others can live free not oppressed, not told how they will worship, not told to identify by their deviance, but instead they will have the freedom to own land, protect themselves, not fear the government, and walk in their faith freely in their land. That same spirit now stands waiting for us. What will you and I do now in this day? Will we choose to just shrug our shoulders in sadness to give up the fight? Or will we be the church strong as it was in that day, today? Will we rally together? Will we turn back to God? Will we stand in the truth? It is time for the church to do that, having done all to stand. This is what drives me as a pastor. This is what drives me as a husband. This is what drives me as a father. This is what drives me as a grandfather. I want my kids and my grandkids and this church and this community and our nation to know freedom once again. I want it to know the holiness of God once again. I want it to know the power of God once again. And for that, I am filled with a passion to stand unashamed and bold. The Bible calls us to this, to stand up, to stand apart, to stand strong, to stand straight, to stand bold, to stand free, to stand fast, to stand firm, to stand against the enemy, to stand determined, to stand on the promises, to stand in Christ, to stand, which is our mandate, and to stand unashamed of the gospel. We want what the founding fathers envisioned. Amen? We want this land to be free. Amen? We want a land that knows and follows Jesus. Amen? We want a land in which righteousness reigns and evil is punished. Amen? We want a land with righteous leaders. Amen? We want a land filled with a holy purpose. Amen? 
We want the church to be all that God has called it to be. Amen? We want to see the glory of God return to our land. Amen? We want to see and be able to say, God bless America again. Amen? And we want to stand on the promise of God. The promise that says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I don't know about you, but I want that mountain. Amen? This is what we are passionate about. This is important on this day. Let this truth fill your family conversations this July 4th weekend and week. Let this be part of your passion now. Let this drive how you live. This is not just any other day. This is the day in which we celebrate the birth of our nation. And it's time for us to remember where we've come from. Where we've come from so that we can know where we're going to. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for those who sacrificed, who gave so much that we might know freedom today in this land. I thank you for those who gave up and our founding fathers and their families. I thank you for those across the decades and the generations who have fought to keep this land free. Father, I thank you for your spirit that has moved, has done mighty things here in this land. But I know your heart is grieved by all that is happening today. The wickedness, the perversion, the trading away of worship of you for worship of self. So God, we cry out to you based on your promise. We are believing your promise because we have repented. We have turned from our sins. And we're now going to walk in faith. We're going to now stand bold. We're going to believe your truth. And we're going to believe that you will heal our land. I pray that you would bring all of the efforts of those who were ungodly and wicked. I pray you would bring their works to an end. I pray you would cause them to walk in defeat, that there'd be an end to all of their efforts. I pray that miraculously you would cause righteousness to rise up in this land, that you would cause revival to happen in this land, that you would cause people to fall down on their knees in repentance and desire to follow you with their life. I pray the church would stand up into its role to be a bold proclaimer of the gospel, to be those who teach your ways, that we might be a people who become truly the light for the world. God, I pray all this, believing your promises. I pray all this in the confidence of your name and in the power of your spirit. We pray this as the church together. We agree together on these promises. And all God's people said in agreement, amen, amen. amen.